This is Seth Jaffe from Tasty Minstrel Games, designer of Eminent Domain. Uh, you're listening to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, episode 26, Marty's other brilliant idea. I'm Marty. Hey, this is Tony. And we are a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Now, the name of this episode was just dropped on me, Tony, and I assume by Marty's other brilliant idea, meaning the brilliant idea I had to include people at the At The Table segment was such an epic failure, you're going to pin this one on me too if this one isn't a success. Well, no, not really. Don't want to pin it on you. It was a great idea at the time, and we always think, you know, you never do know. It sounds like a good idea, and then suddenly she just bombs. Um, hopefully that this show that we're going to do today is another success and we'll be able to get to it as in the sense of a success being that people will, you know, write us comments. You know, we get all those comments over at board game geek, but one thing at the table, we've already gotten two comments in for our November at the table episode. What game was your biggest Turkey? So people, you still got time to send in some comments. We've, we're two shows away from recording that, but Hey, this was a very good idea you had, Marty, about getting us together and discussing the strategy around playing a board game, uh, bringing Alex and Todd on the show. Hey, I thought it was a great idea. Well, yeah, and we'll see how it goes. So let's set this up real quick because this is a pretty long segment and we won't want to bore you with, with all our basic boring details that we go into at the beginning of every show. So anyway, the idea was that we're going to get together play a game, and then afterwards discuss the game. Not necessarily the specifics of a game, but how do people approach a game? When you're invited to somebody's house to play a game, do you pour over the rules and look up strategies and go online and look how to play the game and be as effective as you can in order to try to win? No. Or, <laughs> yeah, which we'll find out during this segment. That's the kind of uh, the group Tony and I fall into. I mean, no, the other group. We don't fall into that group that I just explained. The group that we fall into is the ones where, hey, do you want to come play a game? Sure. Sure. What time do I show up and will there be food? And then I'll sit down and play. There you go. And I'm right there. And we're, hey, what do you mean you didn't read the rules? I thought they would be explained to me. (laughs) That's right. Hey, I'm here to have fun. I'm not necessarily here to win. You know, some people say, well, I have more fun if you win. That's true. But, you know. I've got time to pour over all the strategy guides and articles that are out there on the line for every game that I want to play. Right. And it's going to be one of those things where when we sit down to play, we we, we do, we've gotten better about reading the rules going out. Like just recently, Marty and I sat down and I got to play Arkham Horror for the first time and great job there, Marty. That was, Hey, we put that monster back in the cage. You know, so he never got out of the cage. He never got out of the cage. He never woke up. Never woke up. But for this segment, um, Todd and Alex came over Lords of Waterdeep and sat down with us and listened to this segment. uh, And we're um, sitting there. We discussed what we wanted to do. And and Marty, when did we record this? It was a while back, wasn't it? It was because we actually recorded this outside one night because it was such a nice night outside so you're going to hear in the background crickets and such and I think we actually say that in the segment so it was recorded on a night when it wasn't too chilly to where we could sit outside but before we get into that segment we do want to have a, a little uh, promotion of a friend of ours on another show Dan from a geek all-stars who's going to be running a charity event that he has set up 
um, in the North Carolina area. I believe it's going to be the second weekend in November, but we just want to support him. So let's check this out and then we'll go right into the segment on Lords of Waterdeep. Hey, it's Dan from the Geek All-Stars, and I'm here to tell you about the third annual Gamers for Cures 24-hour board game marathon to benefit Turner Syndrome Society of the United States. This year's event will be held on November 9th at the Gamers Armory in Cary, North Carolina. Now, Turner Syndrome is a chromosomal condition that describes girls and women with common features that are caused by complete or partial absence of the second sex chromosome. Common problems of this include short stature, premature ovarian failure, thyroid problems, and heart and kidney abnormalities. It actually occurs in approximately one of every 2,000 live female births, and it is responsible for as many as 10% of all miscarriages. With many other genetic disorders, early detection is key. And since my daughter was diagnosed with Turner Syndrome almost four years ago, she's been properly treated, and she's grown nearly 12 inches and doubled in her weight. With this charity marathon, we give every penny we raise to the Turner Syndrome Society. We have a ton of amazing items to raffle and door prizes and silent auctions. If you're not local to the event, you can help by either going to GamersForCures.com and click on the link on the right-hand side of the page, which will take you to our first giving site where you can make your fully tax-deductible donation and print the receipt right there from the site. You can also get in on a raffle fund after November 1st by going to GamersArmory.com and there you'll be able to buy the dollar raffle tickets at any one of the 81 lots of games we have for raffle. We've got tons of great board games and prizes from all sorts of great publishers with games like Twilight Struggle, Assigned Dice Duel, Canterbury, a lot containing some Pandemic and the expansions, another lot containing everything from Mage Wars that's been released to date, a copy of the newly released Relic Runners, copy of the new science and many many more great games and miniature items any questions please send me a geek mail from board game geek uh, i'm geek jock on board game geek or you can send me an email at thegeekallstars at yahoo.com thanks a ton for the time and i hope you'll be able to join us for a great event all right in this segment we're going to talk with todd and alex who is just hand motioning to me, Todd is, to make sure I talk directly at him. And if you hear birds and airplanes and kids in the back, it's because we're out on Marty's deck. We just finished up a game of Lords of the Waterdeep. Yes, <laughs> no. Lords, Lords of the Waterdeep. Water no, there's no the. No Todd got on me last time. There for is that. no the. Why not? Why we, can't there be? Why can't there be Lords the? Because it's not the water. It's just Lord. It's pl- water deep's a place. Why cannot it be the water deep? Can we start calling you Tony of the Murray? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not Mayor of the Charlotte. Well, it was it's good. Mayor was of I, it, well, what was good was I remembered I screwed it up last time, and I'm consistent. I'm very consistent. Yeah. Consistent anyway, for those of you, may, yeah, exactly. So anyway, if y'all remember, you know, Alex came to us and did a segment completely on how to form a game club. A lot of, got a lot of good comments on that. They're waiting for a follow up. There people are curious about they what are? Some, yes they are okay. one guy came back and from Asheville matter of mm-hmm. fact he listened to the show he asked us a lot of questions he was supposed to get in contact with you he, he did more, he did mm-hmm. good uh, did he follow up with legal he asked you legal advice or anything like that uh, we, yeah we have some uh, on just on the forum we had some discussion yeah okay well that's good and I'm course, not a lawyer so I can't give legal advice oh that's yeah. where Todd comes in <laughs> I know yeah. I'm not a, I am a lawyer and I'm not giving legal advice on forum in game clubs you don't want to start giving brand legal yeah, advice right, on yeah. the <laughs> forum as you remember you know Todd's been with us multiple times here he's nicknamed for his book stuff the professor reading you know, books on 
Catan uh, and burning buildings and good stuff like that. So, but they joined us tonight. We all sat down. We played a game, as you know. Burning buildings in games, not in real life. Not in real life. That's right. <laughs> it's not like an arsonist like or anything. Flashback. Like yeah. Reference or was but yeah, well, that's, but anyway, well, no, it was. Uh, what was that game? It was just about uh, strategy games in general. Euro games. Euro, Euro games versus, versus Ameritrash. Oh, okay. And Tony came up with the cute thing: you can't burn your. Katons. No, Todd, Todd came up with the name, and I made the graphic of you can't burn your neighbor's Catan buildings or something like that. Because because the whole difference of you're attacking people with Ameritrash games and in Euro games, it's not like that. I got that. you. So why can't you burn or your neighbor's villages? Ameritives, as I've started to try to call it. Ameri- what? Ameritives? Ameritives. Yes. Oh, because it's, it's like... It's narrative and it's American. It's, it's Ameritrash. No, it's Ameritive. Ameritive. So anyway, we sat down, we played Lords of Waterdeep, and... Just finished. Just hour and a half. Hour and a half. Is that a good time? Hour and a half? That's pretty good. It's pretty fast, I think. Yeah, and overall, um, it was, you know, I failed to read the rules again. I played it one time, so I came in kind of new. Um, and then, of course, Todd and Alex, excellent gamers, they, they had some strategies. And we're going to talk overall about the strategies that we employed during the game. My segment will take less than our five-minute initiative. <laughs> um, so, hey, what can I say? And then we'll just let Alex and Todd and Marty go, and I'll chi- uh, be like the birds in the woods here and, and chime in every once in a while, chirp occasionally. So, guys, strategy. So, well, let's, let's start with this. So, we have been planning to do this for a while. Three and months. Three months. Yeah. Finally got the schedules all synced up, and it happened tonight. It's amazing. So, all of us approach this game... Uh, differently, coming to find out right as we sat down. For example, for me, I've probably played this game eh, six, seven, eight times maybe, and I would just opened up the game, was going to sit down and play. For me, when I approach a game like this, I'm not one to go and read a bunch of strategy guides because I guess for me personally, if I was to read a strategy guide, I would just play the way the strategy guide said to do as opposed to come up with my own method. I have in the past come up with my own method, and if it really stunk, maybe go read and why it stunk. But I try not to come in with a preconceived idea of what I'm going to do based on what I've read from somebody else. That's just my way of thinking. However, Alex wanted to approach the game of, like, if I'm going to come into a game, I want to make sure I'm prepared and have a decent strategy when I sit down, right? Yes, yeah, I definitely, um, my approach is, I, I will spend more time prior to the game uh, studying well, I, I, I was funny. I, I told um, Tony first thing. He he broke my first rule about strategy and for, and, and to start with, and, and Todd can fact check me. I have a little sheet here of my different uh, things I try to do before the game. First bullet point is read the rules, right? <laughs> so I won't. I don't want to come to a game where I haven't read the rules. I mean, I, I'm all for teaching games, but I like to know the rules up front of the game I'm going to play. And part of that for me is I always go out and will read strategy guides or, or reviews. So anything that gives me additional depth on how the actual game plays. Because, for instance, for Lords of Waterdeep, I had played it one time um, prior to this evening. It was a two-player game against one. Tal was the opponent in that one. And so I just didn't really have any real sense of you know, how the game actually plays on the table. So you know, I don't want to come to the game cold. I want to know, you know what's, the, what's the basic economy in the game as far as how the resources work. What, what buildings should I expect to come out uh, in something like Lords of Waterdeep? What spaces or actions are available? What are valuable? You know, those are the things that I'm looking for. And so I do, I, I do all that research and study before I ever sit down at the table. Cool. And Todd, how do you approach it? I mean, for me, it kind of depends on who I'm playing with. Like, I think we said this earlier, but, you know, like if I'm sitting down, um, we played a game of Game of Thrones a few months ago, and everybody else who played had played a lot, and I never played. 
So I read the rules like Alex, and then I spent you know several hours on strategy forums. I'm not trying to get, I'm not trying to look for things to imitate like you're. I'm just trying to get a basic understanding of what what are the dumb things to do, what are the good things to do, where when what are the critical points in the game when you should be you know, I guess trying to make certain strategic decisions. Yeah. You know? So that's kind of the, you know. You know, basically, I read that you don't want to play House Lannister if you're new, and of course, I got House Lannister and I got destroyed. But it was, you know, it was still fun. And so for tonight, you know, I wasn't too worried about trying to go up. I've played probably over a dozen games of Lords of Waterdeep, so I wasn't too worried about going up and boning up on, you know, the latest talk about it, um, especially because I knew some of the players hadn't played a lot. If I was sitting down, you know, with a group of people that I played the game with, you know, every week. You know, and we were starting, and we'd sit down and banter about strategy afterwards. I would probably go to BGG forums and read up to see, you know, are our ideas right? Are they, or are we totally off base? You know, where, where are the errors in what we're doing? So that's yeah. And to add uh, to the point about, you know, I I don't read strategy mm-hmm. guides to get other people's strategies. It's right. actually more about getting a context about how the game plays. Right. You can read a rule book, and you should read the rule before mm-hmm. book before you play the game. <coughs> uh, but <laughs> Reading the rules still leaves a lot, a lot in the, you know, still leaves you very much in the dark about what you're going to actually see when the game hits the table. And going through and reading the, like I said, the strategy guides or just some basic reviews, it just puts it in a context that you aren't going to get any other way, short of actually sitting down and playing mm-hmm. the game. Did, Tony, did you write the article on how not to play on BGG? <laughs> of course. It's, it's, you know, if you look, I would tell you not how to play. They're picking on me because when we go over the results, you'll understand why <laughs> um, they're picking on me. But And I will go, I'll, I'll be honest, I've, the only strategy guides I ever read are for games like Netrunner mm-hmm. or any card game like that. I've never gone out and read a board game strategy guide and i guess maybe it's just because when i'm sitting down to play i enjoy playing with you guys because i I take back so much knowledge from Mm -hmm. from what y'all you know like when we get into this how todd did this or alex did that or why my strategy wasn't successful no side doesn't say how marty did this (laughs) well i wasn't you know at first your little token was near the end i wasn't really and i knew that yeah you, we'll talk about the results and where my little token <laughs> yeah. ended up compared to i yours. got your token in my pocket right here here we go but anyway but i don't really read them maybe i should and and not in my defense but i have read the rules but it was a while ago i'll admit i should have boned up on them but I, I did not get to them and i hate that because that was a bad thing i should have I, I, it definitely would help there's no doubt about so it. Let me. Oh, can I give a counter example real quick? Just like Terra Mystica recently, um, opened that up, played with some friends who'd never played before. None of us went and read anything because we wanted to fumble through it together. I have no problem fumbling through mm-hmm. a game the first time with people who are fumbling through with you. You know, but when you've played a game a few times, you know, and you start developing your own strategies, I have no problem with then going and trying to enhance those. Or if you're playing with people who've played before, yeah. like Alex is doing tonight, I think it makes sense. So, that, you know, the game can be fun and challenging for everybody. Yeah. Well, I, my other side of this too is that. I get such, you know, we all, well, we all face this. We all have very limited time at the actual table with the people that we actually game with. I've got limited time, you know, in the evenings when I'm, you know, after the kids are down for bed where I, I don't have, you know, nobody's over and playing a game where I can sit down and read and study up. So I want to maximize, you know, my time at the table and, and my enjoyment. And for me, part of that is winning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or right, at least being right. competitive. That's excellent yeah. point. Right? Yeah. That's a great point. So, uh, so, so you're that gamer type. The game experience is not fun unless you win. Well, no, no, he right? said, I or at least he just said, a good effort. Right? I want to have a strong competitive. effort. He, he wants to feel uh, like he was in the game. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, I want to be vying for that first or second spot. And so, um, you know, that that time spent when I, when I said, when I can't be at the table 
in a game, you know, to me, that's val- I have as much fun doing that as I do actually sitting on the table and playing the game. Sure. And I'll be, when we played this tonight, from my previous experience, the one time I did play, that um, I, I remember a certain part of that game where the white pieces, the priests, were always in demand. So that's the strategy I brought back, mm-hmm. keeping that in, in mind. And it really didn't pan out in this game like I thought it would. Yeah. So now you're right. Now I need to go back and look and say, what went, what went wrong here? Mm-hmm. Where did the train fall off the tracks? Things like that. So, so to get into it, let's just, uh, so Lords of Waterdeep is from Wizards of the Coast. It's a very popular game that came out, I guess it was 2012, last year. And um, it won a lot of awards. I know it was a lot up for awards for Game of the Year and such. Uh, we picked this game because a lot of us consider this an entry-level worker placement game, right? I mean, this mm-hmm. if there was a worker placement game that you want to throw to a new person, this this is a good one to do. Because the, uh, the dynamics of a worker placement are all there, but it's kind of easy to pick up. It's not as intense as, like, say, Agricola is. But the whole purpose is, is, is your workers are called... Agents. See, I always forget that. Worker are called agent. And basically your resources are adventurers. And you place your agents out on the board in order to collect adventurers that you send out on quest. So during the game, you're collecting quest cards. And the quest card lists on there uh, how many agents and what type it needs to complete the quest. How many adventurers? Adventurers. Wow. See, I'm already doing it. How many (laughs) adventurers? So the adventurers consist of clerics, fighters, wizards, and thieves. And I think that's how they're referencing they the book. They might say rogues. Rogues. Okay. Um, so anyway, so if you have a, say, a an Arcana quest. Arcana or Arcana? Yes. You say Arcana. I say Arcana. Yeah. Okay. Arcana. Arcana. Anyway, like those are going to take a lot of a lot of mages. And so there's there's four ma- four or five different types of quests that all focus on one different one uh, different type of ad- adventurer. But lots of them contain combinations. Anyway, so at the beginning of the game, all of us are draw, draw a Lord card. The Lord card tells you, look, there are two types of quests that are going to be coming out. That's going to give you bonus points at the end. So right at the beginning of the game, all of us got our Lord card, and we knew exactly what quest we are going to be looking for. For me, it was Skullduggery and Arcana. And so I knew immediately off the bat, looking at that, it's like, man, I'm really going to have to focus on the Wizards and the Rogues. And um, as we talked about at the end of the game, when you look at the board, the two ones that scare me the most are Arcana and Piety. Because for those, you need the clerics. And right when the game starts, there's one place that you can put your agent where you can only get one of the uh, cleric and one for getting one of the rogue. But there's a spot where you can collect two fight or wizard, a spot for getting two um, rogues and a spot for getting two fighters. And like you guys said at the end of the game, I said, well, that it kind of works out because the uh, like the ones that require fighters just require a lot more fighters, and that, that's probably true. So anyway, so all of us are now going after different quests. So before you saw who your lord was, did you already have a strategy in place of what you wanted to do, or did the lord dictate right then and there what I need to focus on? Did it change your strategy at all? Todd, what do you got? Well, I th- I'd say there's, there's one lord that gives you victory points for buildings. Okay. Number of buildings that you build, yes. and so that would completely shift my strategy to focusing on trying to make sure I was getting those buildings, and it opens up opens up the quests, you know, to look for the ones that are most advantageous for what you've collected. I'd say otherwise. I mean, in my, I'm sure there are people who disagree, but in my experience, 
in order for me to do a quest that's not one of the two types that I have with my lord, it has to be really, really good. Because otherwise, I'm giving up bonus points and spending resources on something. You know, because, okay, I think you may have said this, but so I had commerce and piety. And every commerce and piety quest I complete is going to give me four bonus points for my lord at the end of the game. And nobody knows I'm going to get those points until the end. So, you know, for me to take a turn and turn in a bunch of adventurers to complete something outside of those two, you know, it, it would have to be just be incredible. So, no, I, I mean, in that sense, yeah, the lord I get dictates which types of quests I'm going to take. But in general, I already know I'm just taking those quests unless something more valuable comes up. Yeah, and uh, no, my strategy was what I came to the table thinking I was going to do um, did not was not dependent upon which lord, aside from what Todd already mentioned about the the building lord. Uh, and even then, I don't think my strategy was going to be that much different. It was just going to be a slight, a slight, a slight um, <laughs> twist to add a few more buildings into the mix as opposed to complete as many quests. And I guess we yeah. should jump in and say, if you haven't played Lords of Waterdeep, it, you don't understand what we're saying about the buildings. Essentially, it's unique in one of the worker placement type games I've seen, I think. I mean, I'm sure there's others that do this, but it's one of the ones I've first experienced where you actually buy buildings to put in play, which actually create additional places for your workers. Mm -hmm. So, Kalos uh, is the other yeah. game that has and that feature. Does Lahav do that too? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, mm -hmm. so it's not unique, but it's one of the first that really stands out to me. So. Right, right. What about you? Um, it, it did. So when I first came to the table, and we can go around and tell what kind of our starting, starting strategy was because I want to hear what, what yours was. I haven't, we haven't talked to anybody about what our starting strategy was. So for me, I was actually going to approach this game differently. I was going to try to set up an adventurer and money machine early in the game. When I've played this game in the past, it seems like I always ended up short on the gold end. So my goal at the beginning was to somehow generate a money-generating machine. One way to do that is with the buildings that showed up. There was one of the buildings where uh, it was a really nice one where you could pick up either a, a rogue or a fighter, four of them, and the, whoever owns it gets two gold. That's another cool thing about this. If you're an owner of a building, if you're the one that bought it, you get a benefit if somebody puts their worker there, which is kind of cool. I knew... Uh, just because of the quests that were kind of being taken, I knew that those two guys were going to be needed. So I knew right there I was going to have a, a at least two every time somebody put something there. In addition, I got a quest, and it was a plot quest that was going to stay on the table, that any time I acquired a rogue, I was going to get two gold. So early in the game, I established that. I said, there's my money mechanism. And I knew at that, and actually, I never was hurting for money. In fact, I ended up with 16 gold at the end. So that was kind of my goal at the, at the beginning was to make sure I have an easy way to generate income and, and to generate uh, the adventures for myself, either by owning buildings or hopefully other buildings coming out that, that people own. Well, I think that's, you know, a good guideline for any Euro that you go in to play, you know, where basically you, you should sit down and assess whether it's Lords of Waterdeep or whatever. You know, what are the economic engines driving this game? Like Alex said, you know, you went and researched that. But, I mean, you can, even if people are like, plop, here's a game I'm going to teach you, you should be looking, how do I get more workers? You know, what are the resources I'm going to need? And what's going to be the most efficient way to get those? And how can I spend, you know, okay, this game has eight turns. I don't know where the magic turning point is. But I know that some point in the mid-game, I'm going to have to shift from producing those resources to using them to get victory points. So, I mean, I think this game is the exact same way. You know, you look, you've got maybe three maybe four turns to really get your engine going so you should be spending those first three turns you know looking around for what buildings are going to give me the most benefit what plot quests are on the table are going to come up that can really generate you know either adventures or intrigue cards or money for me alex yeah um so 
I had a, I guess I, I had a pretty thorough idea. I, I, I was showing the guys earlier. I've got like a three page of notes here of, that I took before, and I kind of laid out like what my plan was. Which, granted, I don't normally do that before I sit down and play a game. But knowing that I was coming to, to do this, I, I took some some notes. Uh, the the overall idea is I, I knew just similar to what Marty and Todd have both echoed. I knew I wanted to build stuff early. Um, that 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 the earlier I got out my my buildings, the, the more quickly they would produce uh, passively produce resources for me. Um, also, I I would, I would I planned to try to select buildings that I thought the other players would want to play on because that's that's an important part sure. of getting people to uh, to generate those resources. The other thing I was going for is more of a deferral type strategy. I uh, I didn't want to start finishing quests and going for victory points till the latter half of the game. Mm-hmm. I really wanted the first half to be about let me see what quests I can pick up, um, what type of resources they require. I was also looking to pick up a certain set of intrigue cards, um, ones that would allow me to, and my hope was to deter other people from playing negative uh, cards against me later, or else allow me to defend against them. Um, so I was really focusing more on acquiring, uh, like I said, intrigue cards and, and things that would allow me to plan out the rest of the, the turn sequence. Um, Lords of Waterdeep is, is are interesting in that uh your first couple of turns, you have less worker placements. Actually, this is not common in a lot of worker placement games, but in Lords of Waterdeep, you have less worker placements in the first half of the game and more in the second half. So uh, my plan was use the first half to uh, to try to kn- make sure I knew what my second half of the game would look like and I'd be able to maximize um, what I did in that second half. Uh, so that was sort of my strategy going in. I, I also knew that I wanted to get around um, somewhere over 100 points. I, I looked at it from a score point mm-hmm. way, too. I was like, I need to get like 110 or 120, somewhere in that range, if I want to be in contention to win. And so I started backing into, well, I've got 20 actions. That means each action needs to net six points. Uh, I looked at the type of um, cards, uh, the, the the points on the victory, uh, on the uh, quest cards, to try to figure out, well, you know, what's my average, for each quest I complete, what's my average number need to be? Um, which in this game actually happens to be around, I think it was 15 points or so, which you want to be doing on average. If you're trying to hit that that mark, fifteen points per quest. Per quest, yeah. Well, and but that thing, that's well, thing is well, interesting. Back is you've got the block quest. It's not is yeah. Well, so yeah, it's not fifteen points per quest. Is a ten point quest with a four point lord bonus is what you're looking yes, for. Yes, that's your I ideal um, situation. But you're right. A block quest can significantly change that because um, it will also presumably increase the yield of all your points afterwards. Yeah. Okay. Tony amazes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, when I'm thought about this i knew from my previous like i stated first off my lord was the one with piety and arcana so if i had known that i was messed up from the beginning i would have well, just basically walked from the table according to marty right he well just, that all was wrong they yeah, told me i yeah. forgot that the quests are easier takes fewer adventures right. to complete for those but my strategy was from a previous one was Watch for buildings that provide the white resources or the blue, uh, purple resources. I'm going to use resources instead of adventure, sorry. But for the white adventure, clerics, clerics mm-hmm. and the warlock or whatever adventure. Wizards, mage, the magic whatever, person. Whatever, magic person. And, and look for those because that's where the people should be going. Now, I should have quickly adjusted that strategy when I saw my lord and it was, oh, look, I'm going to be white and purple. So, because just like Alex just said, I'm, I know that. I need to leverage those quests. 
and and in all honesty my strat my second strategy was to try to stay close to Todd and Alex in points that would let me know that I am at least close to the game. Again, why not would you stay close to me? Why do you just assume I'm going to be like sitting at the end with you? Okay, my man has a three-page document. <laughs> okay? <laughs> my man over here is running, running the game for us. You and I are just, no, nah, I'm just picking it. Oh, you. whatever. Uh, no, but uh, actually, actually it was for most of the game, Marty was ahead of me, so. Yeah, yeah. And, th- and that's what I was looking at was what my strategy was. Try to stay in the middle of the pack. I was picking at you. Just try to stay between everybody so that I knew that hopefully as the end game came around that I could uh, leverage or be able to figure out how to pull out close to or get near and feel good about the game. Because I I knew that overall I I wasn't going to win this one because I hadn't played it a lot. I didn't know the intrigue cards and what they all said. And I think a lot of that has to do with when you play a game. If you Once you see these cards over and over and over, you know what's going to come up. It's been forever. I didn't know what all the buildings did. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know when not to buy a building and when to buy a building. So, you know, that to me, you know, I knew my strategy was stay in the middle of the pack with victory points. Don't get too far behind. And look for white and purple. If those show up, try to grab them because other people will give you the bonus from the building. That was my strategy going into that. Let me interject that. You didn't have to go in blind regarding what's in the intrigue cards or the plot quest. Because they're online. They are all online, yes. and then they They're also quit. all in the rulebook, I believe, right? No, no, only the buildings. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, but All the intrigue cards and all the quests are online in a beautiful Excel spreadsheet, already set with filters. You can <laughs> you can get a read on exactly what's in that deck <laughs> very and see, quickly. And see, that, I, I, will, I did not realize that was out there. I'll be, And that's a good point to anybody listening to the show. It's all out there on the yeah. Board Game Geek forum somewhere. I've never really, when I look for the files, I look for them on the card games, and I know those are there. I cannot. That's that's pretty amazing that someone has gone to that depth to produce that. That's pretty cool. Well, I, I did not realize I, that. I, I'll say as counterpoint, I've never looked at that. And Alex asked me tonight how many um, of the uh, oh, the mandatory quests mm-hmm. there are in the deck, which allows you put on somebody else to force them to do another quest. And he's like, "What's the percentage again?" I'm like, "I don't know," because um, I don't, I don't actually. I, I could see if you're. I mean, if you're getting into the mathematics of it and trying to figure out whether it's worth taking the next entry card, I could see that being valuable. But I think you can still have a good game without getting to that level. Of, I mean, uh, I, I think the reason I think it's important yeah. is I, I didn't really get into that. That's not how I was using it. Yeah. I would go in, for instance. I did not know. Do you guys know what the ratio of each type of quest, uh, you know, qu- faction quest is in the deck? No, no, it's twenty percent. They split it exactly evenly across. I figured all it would be. Okay, yeah. sure. You know what the average victory point for those cards, each you know each mm-hmm. quest is. Those kind of things, again, you can figure out very quickly in Excel. Mm-hmm. And somebody's already done all the work. I want those are things I want to know before I sit down because it do, that does to me impact your entire strategy for the game. Like if if there was one that was more heavily weighted, if if warfare was the most heavily weighted quest category, I would I would play my game differently. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree yeah. with you there. If, if something stands out like that and you know about it, oh yeah, without yeah. a doubt. But I figured it'd be well balanced across all of it, mm-hmm. especially the cards. So, but that, that's a good point. So, um, moving on, we get into the game. Unfortunately, I'm going to go ahead and keep us moving here, Marty, so we don't go too long here unless, you know, we no, can go. No. But first off, I'm number one player because I was the last person out of town. Well, crap. Now I'm in, now here I go thinking, okay, I was hoping to follow everybody's lead in here because 
to see what strategies they were going. That to me is a strategy. If I'm trying in games like this, I've always noticed like pillars or or um, other worker placements. Sometimes there's an advantage of going a little bit later, and being that first person doesn't really. You, you understand what I'm trying to say here? It's just not, I don't want to be that first person. What's ever, so you can see the strategies come out. Well, great. Y'all were clueless because I was first player, plain and simple. Well, you took the right move on the first turn, though. I, I, what? I, I saw build. a wide building, yeah. wide build. Yep. Yeah. If you hadn't done that, I would have. Yeah. yeah. I was actually hoping you didn't know to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I told you, I looked at the buildings. I saw white. I knew white was needed because there was only that one white mm -hmm. space. Yep. You put it out there. That was my round one strategy, build and get a white and then go from there. So, And as Alex said earlier, the whole thing with the buildings is putting stuff out there that everybody can use. Mm -hmm. There are some buildings that were like, eh, they're okay, but there are definitely some, like the one yeah. that I picked up where it was uh, pay two gold and get any combination of four of either the um, Warriors, uh, or Rogues. Warriors or Rogues. Mm -hmm. That was pretty sweet. And I think that was probably used, that building was used every single turn. Mm -hmm. Lots of times just by me. Yeah, well, interesting, yeah, Side note to that, though, is so the one I built, um, I only built one building the entire game, and it only got used one time by somebody other than me. Todd used it the first turn I put it out. Um, normally, that's a bad thing, except in my case, I, I did purchase the building thinking, even if nobody else ever uses this, I will use this every turn, which I think I did use it every yeah. single turn. So there is that <clears throat> aspect to it as well. But I had certainly hoped more. I would get more passive um uh, income off of it. Yep. Yeah. I also tried, and y'all probably try to do it too, I try to complete the plot quest as early as possible too so mm -hmm. I can take advantage of those longer in the game. Right. I think that's the real trick in this and like many games. I'm, this is similar to what I said earlier, but I mean, figuring out where that tipping point is where, you know, those things like plot quests which give you a benefit throughout the game but are lower in point value overall are no longer worth taking. Like, there's a point where you should just not take those. Right, because the two points you're going to get bonus from them, you'd be better off getting the ten point quest, you know, out there, or some of the buildings. Like, okay, so in turn three, I took I, I'm horrible at pronouncing this, but Zoastar. It's like, right. it's uh, it costs eight cold, and basically it lets someone use a. It basically, if someone puts their agent there, they can use another space on the board, even that someone else has used. Right. Yep. So, and that gives me two victory points. Well, I got that. That came up in turn three, and I thought, well, that, if I put do that now. That's easily, a, potentially up to 12 victory points for me, so that's a no-brainer. If that had come up in turn six, right. I'm not touching it. I don't right. want any part of that. Well, and that's so funny that's that you say that. It's because on my first turn, mm -hmm. I took the plot quest that did the exact same thing. Right. And in fact, you took a quest on the very first turn, and you put your hand on that quest, and I was like, dang it, and then you switched to another mm -hmm. one. And it was like, okay, I, and that's one of the first ones I finished, and again, I took advantage of that every turn. <laughs> because like that building, that gave you an advantage of, I don't need to be first player because if there's something I really need, I've got this ability that lets me take advantage of another spot, which right. is what you're building. Well, that's there's another quest in there that gives you another an additional agent. It gives mm -hmm. you no victory points, but it gives you an additional agent, the right. lieutenant, right? Right. And you have to ask yourself, you know, okay, it's clear if that comes up in turn, you know, six, you're not, you're probably not taking it. And if right. it comes up in turn two, you're definitely taking it. But what if it comes up in turn five? Is that worth taking, completing at that point? Right. Right. Maybe I mean I don't know. You kind of see how your game is going, how much you need that other agent, and how many buildings are out so that you have places. But that's where you have to start. That's where the judgment calls I think come in, and where the the heart of the strategy is. It's like when is my engine done? When is it time to flip it off and and start using the benefits of that to complete my. So it sounds like for the first two or three rounds, we're all kind of doing the same thing: mm -hmm. building, getting the quest that you wanted to complete towards the end of the game, mm -hmm. and 
Then over in the other time, there was that part where you flipped from the building mm -hmm. to get in your quest to now, now I've got to start pulling in my adventurers, I guess around mid-game, mm -hmm. you would yeah. say, yeah. so that you make sure you have enough to complete all your quests by the end of the game. I mean, we probably all, I guess, probably did the same thing. I think so. No. Uh, somewhere, my I will, somehow my adventurer engine broke. I don't know how, but... All of a sudden, I was starved on adventures, and then, but then I was completing my plot quest, and I'm like, okay, I need, I need my quest. Where did all the adventurers go? And I, I just lost it. I don't know where my, I, I don't know if I ever had that engine. I thought I had it because I had the plot quest that gave me the ability. You pull a white guy, you can take one off your tavern and put somebody different in there. I thought that was going to help me drive for the small. I was looking for the quest for the small amount of adventures to complete. Which could help me drive it that way when I had that one because I scored that one very very early, and I wanted to do that very early. But do you feel like you got too caught up in the intrigue cards? Um, no, not really. From the standpoint of, um, the not no, I okay. don't because I don't. Uh, I was pulling him thinking, and had I done what Alex did and looked and read, I would have known that I was waiting for that cool intrigue card that one that can just come in and you know give you something well here's an easy way to gather resources of this color or something mm -hmm. like that but you know there's only there were only two the arcane what was it arcane mishap yeah. that worked for me twice and that was about it so then that was my mistake so next time i play this game my strategy is going to go and read the intrigue cards learn what they say and then decide when i want that or when i don't want it so you're no, I think I was putting it there because, you know, I was trying to figure out where did I, how was I going to pull something. So, Alex, how about you? What, what during the game, did you, when did you realize your engine was working? When was it not working on your strategy? Did you have to immediately do a shift in your strategy? Anything like that? Same uh, question to you, Marty. No, I, I wouldn't say there was anything where I had to make a, a major shift in what I <clears throat> planned on doing. Now, how I expected things to play out was very different than the actual, <laughs> the actual results. Um, and that's just a function. I mean, so for instance, I, I did not build my first building until the fourth turn. Mm -hmm. I had planned on, I had planned to have like tried to get two buildings out within the first four turns. Uh, and that was a, you know, that's a function of, you know, who was the first player, who took first player when. Um, and, and I, so I just didn't, did not execute to get where I would have it. Um, so, you know, there are lots of things that didn't necessarily go how I expected them to go, but as far as the overall strategy, it was, I, I pretty much followed what I planned to do um, the whole the whole way through. Yeah. I, I did too. Um, I was actually kind of worried. By the way, there's there's eight rounds in this game. So, at round four or five, I, when I was sitting towards the back of the pack, I was like, did I really screw this up? But then it was like, then I saw, started seeing everything kind of working. I, the gold started coming in. The adventure started coming in. I saw, all right, all right, here we go. Then I spent the next three or four turns, you know, completing the quest. Uh, I did, uh, I guess you could, I don't know if it's luck, but, you know, I, there were a couple good quests that, that popped up. There was like a 25-point quest that happened to be just the same one I was looking for. All of a sudden, that 25-point turns into a 29-point quest. You know, you get a couple of those, you know, you're, you're right back in the game. Mm -hmm. So that, that worked out well for me. So, yes, about round three or four, I was starting to wonder, did I really screw myself up at the beginning of the game starting out like this? Mm -hmm. But I'm glad I just stuck with it because it, it did work. Todd, what about you? Uh, I'll say in round five, I was panicking. 
Like, I actually was, we were both back there. Right. And I had, I was playing Commerce and Piety, but you guys were all, t- like, a couple people were taking Piety quests, so I'd kind of written them off. It must have been Tony, because yeah, I, I didn't I'm want sure any. You were, were you taking Piety? Oh, also? you were. Yeah, was, so, yep. Piety was disappearing, so I was taking Commerce, and I looked down, and I've got probably three, maybe four quests that all take four gold. Right? They all take four gold to complete, and I've got two gold sitting in front of me. And I'm having, I've had to spend actions the last couple turns just taking the four gold spot. None of the buildings have come up that have given, you know, lots of gold. And all my quests almost take, even the commerce ones are taking two priests. Well, nothing has come up to let me get multiple priests in one action. So I'm having to spend a whole agent's turn getting four gold just to complete one quest. And I'm having to get, spend the other one just to get one priest. Which, you know, I'm like, where are the multiple priest buildings? Where, how am I going to get more than one priest at a time or I'm going to run out? Right. So I was I was totally just like that. This game is coming apart. And it's funny you say that because two buildings came out that actually helped you out. Yes, because there was the one building that was um, you get one gold for every building that was built, right. which was better than the four gold spot, and the one with the two um, priests or clerics or whatever came out too. That, that one building. came out later. That was pretty good. But it, that one, let me go back to the because that's when I I wrote in the fifth round that house the stone house comes out and it gives you a gold, two gold it gives you a gold for every building on the board. Which at that point we had like. That would have been the sixth building, I think. Yes. So that's much more efficient than the four gold one that's out there. Or if somebody else uses it, I get two. But again, I'm sitting there waiting. I think it cost, I may have cost four gold, and I only had six. So I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to have to spend four gold to take that building, hope that nobody uses it. You know, I'm basically giving up completing a quest this turn to take that building. And I'm like, you know what, if I don't get a cash engine going, I'm done anyway. So I took took the chance, took the building. I don't think anybody ended up using it because I think I ended up getting the six coin that turn. I was like, that's all right, I'll take the six instead of the two. And then that ended up allowing me to complete several quests the next couple turns because I was able to take it for, like I think at that point I ended up building an extra building in another turn. So I ended up being able to get nine gold at one point off of that building, which saved me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was a big turning point. If somebody else had taken the six there after I built the building, I'm not sure I would have recovered. Well, my my key things I keep strategies I wrote down that I did not execute and that would have probably made a bigger difference is specifically blocking out key placements in the last two turns of the game. And you're right, if I had probably if I had grabbed up that space that might have made a, a difference but in, in blocking you, have, you out from being able to get the money you needed. But then you wouldn't you have been possibly wasting agent you would have needed to complete your own quests? Yeah, I mean it would have, it would have been one action for probably nine gold that I probably didn't need, but now think about nine gold by itself is worth four points. Correct. So it's, too, it's actually not it's not an overly efficient. Like I said, each placement you want to ideally get six, um, but a four, four four point placement that blocks out another player. And granted, I hadn't picked up what on what Todd was doing. Right. Um, I wasn't paying enough attention, but that would have probably been you know four points to block out another player. Right, and just right that non gold let me complete a twenty five yeah. point quest. Yeah, would have right. been worth it for so that. I, yeah. And what are we talking about? The gold being worth something. At the end of the game, you get uh, one victory point for every two gold you have, plus one victory point for one every one adventurer you have that you have not used. So that's where that was coming from. Well, I'll say the other thing I did then at that point. So this is where I adjusted my strategy. You're asking about how it changed. So at that, you know, early on, I had that had not been my strategy. I wasn't. I didn't want to worry about money. I wanted to worry about you know. At this point, I should just be raking in adventurers and knocking out quests. I'm finding myself having to completely change it up. So first thing I do is. You know, get that building to try to hopefully improve my cash flow. And then I look around and I'm like, okay, I can't take any more quests that require gold. I just can't, you know, I just, I'm going to have to completely change. I can't just take the best one. Mm-hmm. I have to eliminate all the ones that take gold because obviously I can barely sustain it as it is. And so someone played Bidding War. I think it was Alex, mm-hmm. which is basically you take the top four quest cards off the deck and then it's a draft. 
Right. So Alex takes one, he passes to me. So I looked around at them and I said, well, one, I'm not passing piety to anybody else because I know that, you know, you guys are still working on them. And two, it's like the piety quest doesn't take any gold, so that's an easy no-brainer. So those were kind of the two adjustments I made mid-game. Right. Right. Did you score the the one you took from I did. that? Yeah. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> see, with ten see the one. Yeah. Yeah, and see the one you gave me was a skull duggery, which is an extra four points yeah. for me too. So, yeah, so but you, ne- 14, you never know that's gonna so, you never know that's gonna play out yeah. at the end. And I ended up with commerce, so and I didn't I didn't even score it. It wasn't even <clears throat> worth worth my effort to even. Try well, to that's that. because you were last too in that yeah. in that I, I, circle. Yeah. yeah, but and that's fine. And I was just kind of curious how that was going to work out, hoping something good would come up. So. Yeah, I understand what you were saying earlier about how you stop your plots, and I, and I understand that you stop your plots, uh, stop taking the quest for oh, the, the plot, plot quest. The plot okay, quest. yeah, and so you got to play those early. Mm-hmm. So yep. I did that. I'm, I'm thinking back through the game. Marty mm-hmm. looked at me and said, "Why aren't you talking?" But basically, I'm going back through all my rounds. I'm like, "Okay, I played my plot quest early. I'm sitting there trying to stay in the middle of the pack. What was it? What could I have done to get the adventurers out?" Because y'all were raking in the adventures. Where were you doing it? Because I'm watching y'all, and I'm watching Todd and Marty, and you've got your adventures, and I know Alex has a few, but not a whole lot. And I'm like, how in the world are they raking those in? You were pulling them in off that one building. You, you want me to tell you I did it? Yeah. It's quite simple. I kept the first player token. Is that? Okay. Because then, at the beginning of my turn, I had my choice of what adventures were out there. Okay. And then for me, it was... And that was my mistake for not reading the rules. I admit that. Uh, but usually first player token passes, not in this game. And that was... Actually, hold on. That's not That's normal. not true. Yeah. That's not normal. Well, I guess I'm used to playing pillars. Cause yeah. It, cause it goes Most worker placement has a spot for taking the first player. Then why... Is, I wonder why that's... No, pillars is just unique. I, I, okay. I, like, its, I like its mechanism, but that, it is different. Uh, there's, uh, auction games a lot of times have it where it rotates around, but... yeah, I, I well, know all of them have it right worker there. placement. Yeah. Yeah. But, but here's the thing. Just to backtrack a little bit, when I looked at your... I'm not sure that was actually what got you in the end. Because... Spoiler alert! What, no, no I, yeah, right. I think. Well, I think yeah, what we happened is talk about the results. Yeah, right. <laughs> we can talk well, about. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, because if you think about, it, I think what you saw, like on my card in particular, is I didn't actually because I didn't have enough cash. I didn't actually start completing my quest until six, seven, and eight. Which like, is why you got the I mandatory had, quest from me. That's right, but that's also why I had so many adventures. You're thinking I'm bringing them all in. I wasn't. I was sitting on them, just begging, like, "Oh God, I just got to get a couple more." Whereas you had already completed all yours. Like I think that's because at the end of the game. You and I both had seven completed quests in our Lord's category, right? Which yeah. I, I think is a, you know, that's kind of my target for, I've done pretty well. Like, I, you can maybe do better, but, you know, I think if you've hit seven, you've got, you're getting a nice bonus at the end of the game. So, I don't think that's where you lost, where you didn't get the points. I think there were other opportunities, perhaps, for points that you didn't take, because maybe you were playing entry cards or doing something, like, or maybe you should have been, I don't know. Like, uh, like either from buildings well, okay. or from, um... How did you, let's see, how many completed quests did you have in your tavern that weren't part of your... None. None. They were all from my categories. Really? Okay. I only had one that wasn't. That was because I got it at the beginning of the game. Yeah, I had one that was outside. Same thing. I had one that was outside my faction or category, and it was from the beginning of the game, and it's also... And I had two. Also, if if it had only been in faction. (laughs) Yeah, right. Okay, so so basically, from from my standpoint, I, I completed nine quests. Overall yeah, in the game, right. so I don't know. Which is good. I only finished. I only uh, got seven. You, but how many of those were plot quests? Um, they were I all. I want to say you had like three. You had like three plot quests out. I, I have three. I have four. Four. Okay, so see, I, 
again, one, one of the things I've written down specifically, when you're, when you're playing, one strategy to keep in mind is simplicity. If, you know, plot quests by their nature are much more complex. Because not only is there the, the resources you have to put into them to get whatever the benefit is, but then you got to factor in how is that benefit, how are you going to leverage that benefit to convert it to additional victory points? As opposed to a quest card that says, right. play X, get 20 victory points. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a very simple, very straightforward mechanism for gains, for converting resources to victory points. And so I would, like, I, I really, I, I, I did one plot quest the entire game, and it was only because it was, it was, play this type of, or complete this type of quest, get two extra victory points. And it was, so it was very straightforward. There was no having to figure out how I was going to leverage it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was clear. It was in the same category that I was going to be going for. I think doing that, then you know where you're going to be, you're going to be able to maximize your points. Whereas the plot quest can be hugely beneficial, but if you don't do that calculation right about whether or not, you know, is it worth recruiting the lieutenant in this turn? Can I turn him into enough points to make up for I just paid to get him? In the number of turns remaining, that, that's a hard calculation to make in mm-hmm. the game, and yeah. you know, oh, so I keep, I, I'd say, keep it simple and go for what you know. I, I can definitely get these points. Go for those, right? right. Yeah. And that's what I was. I understand what you're saying. I'm like, okay, I can take a worker and make it anything I want it. That's a good one. Plot quest, like you said, complete this pot, plot quest, and you get plus two on top of it. I'm like, okay, that one needs to definitely come in. Yeah, right. And if I'm going, well, leveraging how many had you already completed? Yeah. the seven you were. Gonna and and how many do you have queued up that in this match? Already, no, that that's that's what I'm probably missing out on. Maybe I didn't do something right see, here. I had the option to get both the piety and the commerce one, but it was so late in the game, like it was turn six or something. And I was like, "There's even though they'd be worth two points each, by the time I get them completed, there's no way I'll complete enough of the commerce and piety quest to make it worthwhile." I mean, and I, I got the piety one straight. because I think that was the only piety on yeah, the board at right. the time. So, so yeah, let's let's jump to round seven, okay, seven, sure. seven and eight. So mm-hmm. so now we're probably all frantically trying to gather victory points just as fast as we can. Mm-hmm. And the, the best way is obviously completing your quest. So probably all of us are doing the exact same thing. You're looking around the board. I need two of this, three of that, four of that. What can I do to generate? I was able to pull off a little combo by using a building that wasn't in play yet because of a special entry card mm-hmm. that allowed me to convert a couple things that got me a 25-point quest. So... All of us now are trying to do probably the same thing at this point, right? Mm-hmm. You want to use up everything. You luckily there's no uh, uh, there's no negative scoring that if you don't complete a quest because mm-hmm. that, that that could have been bad. But um, <laughs> actually, it could have helped me because I got all my never mind. Um, so anyway, so we're all frantically trying to do that. At, at that point, I was surprised nobody took the first player token from me because I would have thought somebody would have said, "I've got to make sure I go first to make sure I get these guys to complete these quests. But I guess y'all didn't really need to. In round seven or eight, you did take it from me. You did take it from me. That's right. So never mind. So you did take it from me in eight. I guess for that reason, because you needed to... I mean, round seven is when you take it. Round eight, there's no point in taking it. I'm sorry. Yeah, Yeah. round seven, you take it. And I I contemplated taking it as well. When Tony took it, I was kind of like, well, all right, good enough. I'll go second. Yeah. Because I I knew I could get the space I needed. Yeah. Second player, yeah. What about you, Todd? Seven and eight, what were you going into? Well, eight is really the one where I was, you know, seven was kind of lining everything up. Eight is where I basically had three agents. I knew I wanted to complete two quests, and then I would figure out what to maximize points with the last agent. And I, um, you know, I had a 25-point commerce quest and a 10-point piety quest. I needed one rogue and one wizard. And I'm looking at the board, and I'm going, okay, it's easy. There's like five spaces where I can get rogues, and only two where I can get wizards. Take the wizard. I mean, that was, it It wasn't too complicated. Um so I think the wizard's the first time figuring that, you know, that could get the rogues at one of the variable spots next time. So let me complete those. Yeah. And then, I had, 
I had sorry. You no, were, I was gonna say the third space, but I'll talk about that. Now. I had an interesting. My actually round date was very interesting yeah. because I came into it. I had a twenty-five point quest that I felt I was like I need to complete this to to have mm-hmm. to be in contention to win, and uh, it required five clerics, five priests, mm-hmm. um, and I had I had two sitting on my my uh, sheet there, and there was no there were not three spots to get clerics left on the board there was two right um but there was a card sitting there was a building yep. sitting down in the queue that lets you take any two cubes trade them in for any three of any color you want so you can trade in you know one an orange and a black for three white which is the which one i was clear. referring to earlier that took advantage of you did the yeah. tree card well i i was sitting on an entry card that lets you replace your cur- one of your existing buildings for that building and i, I was sitting there thinking okay so i could go ahead and try to, you know, do the entry card, put it in the play, and hope nobody else takes it. And if nobody else takes it until before it gets back to me, bam, I played. I had a red, an orange and a black sitting on my board, too. I could trade them in for the three whites, and I scored the 25 points. I was like, okay, that, that's that's what I got to do. I don't have any other choice. Except that Tony went went first, went right before me, and he cleared the plots, or the quest, the quest queue. And so four new quests came up, and a, a quest came up for 20 points that... I knew I could score in one placement. So I ended up taking that quest instead. Again, this is the simplicity thing. The other one was just too... There were too many things outside my control to take it. And so I said, you know, I'll just take this one. I know it's a guaranteed 20 points right now. Um, it was within my faction, so it's actually 24 points. So I grabbed it. Uh, and that's and I, my last turn was spent to pick up the last resource I needed to score that one. And then some extra points. I forget some, something else. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. I'm, I'm done with my 7-8. Um, my 7-8 and eight was pretty much, I knew I was in trouble. Y'all had leapfrogged in front of me. I had no quest. I had no adventures ready to go. I knew there was no way for me to pull it out in the end. The only thing I could hope for was that maybe having another piety would give me, or our arcana quest would give me enough points to kind of, you know, help vault me with that plus 4, you know, fit 14 points. And that's why I cleared the quest. I'm like, there was none on the board. So let's go ahead and try to clear the quest, see if I can pull one that will pull out easy workers for mm-hmm. me that I, could com- that I can complete and figure out what to do with it. Yeah. And that was my 7-8, because when I was, did all the calculating, I was like, there's no way. And the one that I wanted, you pulled for me, Marty, was the 25, 5 purple, 6 purple. Yes. And that was the one I was going to go for in round... Wouldn't you get that seven or six? Yeah, six. Maybe it was six. Six. You pulled it out, sitting there going, "That's the one that I was going to try to shoot for at the end to try to help well, me in." And again, it. I needed Arcana, so that was a big one for me. That was a twenty-nine and, point. And so me. did I. So I was like, okay, "That's yeah. that's the way." And, I'll, I'll and here's one where I think going back to Alex's point of simplicity. So in round six, I put out a building that accumulated three victory points every turn. Right. So by round eight, nobody had taken it, and it had nine victory points sitting on it. So when I watched you clear those quests and take one, I think that's a valid strategy to go for hope for one that has a lot of victory points that you can complete, you know, with a limited number of adventures, you can complete that round. But I thought, man, I might have just taken the straight up nine victory points and called it a mm-hmm. day. Um, and it, as it turned out, by the end of the round, I still had, by the time I came to my third agent, I collected the two I needed to complete the quest I did. I had that third agent that was still sitting there and I was like, okay, nine victory points, boom, done. Mm-hmm. 
Sure. That's as good as completing, you know, many of the quests. Yeah, so. and I kept I kept looking at that one. That's why at the beginning of eight, I was trying to do all this math in my head to make see can I score more than that nine mm-hmm. points? And I could. It was going to score me. It was going to net me one extra point because mm-hmm. otherwise I was going to go bam. I was going to take the easy nine right yeah. there. But mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'll net one more point by doing this little combo thing. Well, and I actually did the math on whether or not I thought there would be enough wizard and rogue. No, I said I needed a wizard and a rogue. I was actually trying to figure out can I take that with my first agent. It'd still be guaranteed the wizard and rogue, and I just decided the other two quests were worth more points, and I would just take those first. Right. All right, so we finished round eight. We um, started counting up our uh, points. Basically, it was uh, one point for every two gold, one point for every adventurer, and you know I didn't write down the final scores. Here, here well, here's what happened. Tony, uh, Tony came in last. Yay! I came in. And then, you, if you went up the scale a ways, there was me. Oh, ways, ways. It wasn't that oh, give me. It was what? Tony was about 100, and you had about 106 or something. Uh, it was 28, yeah, it was, it, it was 113. 113. 113. And we was probably, I was probably like another 10, 15 ahead of you. We all hung around 135. Uh, I did 134. Todd came at 135. 135. I was, was like, at 130 or 131. I was like four behind. So, so that was that was the final scores. And now, after we've talked about all this, it's amazing seeing how anybody could have won that game. I mean, if you had not taken the nine points at the end, if you had taken that twenty-five point quest, if you hadn't, if you hadn't cleared for him to get that twenty-five point, twenty-nine point quest at the end, it's amazing how it's like you have all this deep strategy. But now that we've talked through it, it's like one little turn mm-hmm. on any of that could have could have totally changed that. Yep. Well, and Tony played a mandatory quest on me that mm-hmm. I was so upset about. And oh, it gave really? Me, yeah, and it gave me two points, yeah. which, which is was the well, difference well, between. Yeah. yeah, and well, I look at you know, I, I had I completed seven quests, but one of the seven was not in my my lord's mm-hmm. faction, and so I, that was four points I gave up to do that. Yeah, right? but it was what in your starting hand, right? It was, yeah, yeah. Well, I was, had, was there a benefit on it, or was it just? No, I took it because it was easy. It was okay. a commerce one. It was two. Or, it was you know, you pay you you play two or three. Um, you know, warriors and, and right. thieves and four gold, and you give somebody four gold and you get 15 points. So I was like, oh, well, you know, right. gotta take that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you don't get that that four point bonus. Yeah. And it's funny, I said at the end of the game after we did the scoring, I said, all right, I know I'm gonna say on, on the uh, recording because there's one thing I could have done in rounds one or two that would totally flipped it. The, uh, the, the plot quest that was out there that gives you additional two. For either Arcana or Skullduggery were sitting there, mm. and I didn't take either one. Mm. If I would have taken yeah. one, yeah, that, right. that would have netted me six extra points, and yeah. that would have been the difference. Right. Yeah. So it's just amazing. That's what I really like about this game. It's like, you know, one little thing here and there can totally flip the order. Yeah. Where there's there's enough strategy in it that you got to have the strategy to stay in the game. But there is that little bit of luck here and there. You cleared mm-hmm. the quest. The right quest came out for you. Yeah. You know, little actually, I think I screwed up my quest allocation in that. I think my my average quest uh, point value was around probably closer to twenty than eight. You know, than than ten. Right. Um, and I think that if I had picked slightly easier quest to complete, I would have done eight and had the extra mm-hmm. four points there as opposed to um, doing only seven and, right. and not right. having as. Well, or I might not have done the 15... See, the, the thing with the 15-point questions you had, right? It didn't give you any new adventurers. Like, if I yeah. had one like that that gave me bonus adventurers, that makes sense early. Yes. But that's one you could have held on to for several rounds 
Yeah, well, no, I mean, like the one, I did, I, I did have some where I was able to yeah. sequence like that, and right. yeah, it didn't prevent me from yeah. doing that. Yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah. Well, let me ask you: there were two that I had that I thought were fairly. One of them didn't give me a whole lot of victory points. It was four, mm-hmm. but in usually in worker placement games, anytime you can place a worker on top of something, I mean, you you get your three and you can place it again. That's always beneficial. Mm-hmm. So that one where I played, where I turn in a um, wizard and you get to pull a worker off and get to play him later. Mm-hmm. Is that worth the four points? To, is that worth completing? Depends I mean, on what action you take yeah. with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah I again, understand. As long as your action nets you more than four points, then it's absolutely worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it helps yeah. you build the adventurers yeah. to complete a larger quest from that standpoint. Okay. I was just kind of like, Yeah. Yeah, so like entry cards, I almost, mm-hmm. unless I just have horrible entry cards, I almost always go for them in the first round because mm-hmm. I figure it's free actions, really, and you're building your pool. Like those two cards I played got me, you know, easy. One was um, uh, basically I get a cleric and then I get two victory points for mm-hmm. I think was the one, and then I don't remember what the other one is now. Had something else to do with clerics. Yeah. But, no, that was it. Basically, everybody had to remove a cleric, and if they couldn't, I got two victory points. And right. I had six victory points, easy. Right. And then the other one uh, gave me a cleric. And, uh, I will, and, yeah. and that was th- those were just easy. Those were essentially the same as if so the one that gives me a free cleric essentially the same is probably my guy on the place that gives me a free cleric. But I have I get a bonus action out of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And the same thing with the victory points. So on the first turn, you know, I, I think it's almost always to your benefit. I mean, this is my opinion. I think it's almost always for your benefit to go to the, the um, water deep harbor. Yeah. Well, I mean, which is they're, the, they're, which assuming is that you see so you've been, if you've been shut out of this, the buildings, if there's not a, a pressing well, quest, correct. I was then sure. I, I was agree. third at that point. You know. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. If I'm first, I'm probably looking at the building of the quest. You know. Sure. Sure. No, you're right. You're but right. it is I nice agree. at the beginning of the game to basically take the worker you put in the harbor mm-hmm. and Use move them again because yep. you know there'll yep. be some spots open somewhere. Well, and if all you've got in your hand is two mandatory quests, I probably would be like, no, that's okay. I'll do something else. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, after after the game, is there a takeaway that you would have that um, a strategy that you had at the beginning that you would alter now, or is there something you felt like that worked really well? I'm going to take that into another game. Uh, is there anything that's really stuck for me that you would change the next time you play or, or keep? Hmm. Like for me, no, I thought, yeah. Go ahead. Well, for me, I was going to say that uh, the one building that allowed you to put uh, one of your agents where another agent already existed, or the plot quest that gave me that. That was huge for me because all of a sudden the fear of somebody taking a spot was gone because if somebody had taken a spot that I was going to need later, eh, big deal. I'll take something I need and know that I can always do that at some point in time. If I ever see that quest come again, I'm jumping all over because it really freed me from worrying about not being the first player. I mean, I could have been last every round. It really wouldn't have mattered. I wouldn't have got the first pick. But it doesn't matter because if, if I was last, I still could have used that special ability to take what I wanted. So for me, I just saw the really advantage of that. Yeah. Uh, no, I feel like the the strategy and, and that I came up with and the methodology behind it that, that that works. I think my execution was off some, um, and so that's really <laughs> practice. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it practice or is it because you were sitting beside me? Uh, no, I think it's practice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I told Tony, I, yeah. I, I, I essentially sat beside Tony. So, I again, I'd read the rules, and I knew that the rule for starting player was whoever's last been out of the city or been to a different city. <laughs> and Tony had emailed just a few days before, hey, I'm going to be I'm gonna be coming to the game from, where were you coming? From some oh, other place. Yeah. From some, some place in the mountains. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to make sure I sit next to Tony, and that will guarantee <laughs> I get to go second. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, 
But see, now that you know I don't read rules or strategy guides, yeah. now you may have to adjust your strategy mm -hmm. from that standpoint for that game. Because, hey, he's going yeah. for... But, I mean, in other games, you can find out where someone may throw you off like that. But being in this game, I don't think it mattered mm -hmm. as much, you no. know, from the standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, for me, uh, what would I change other than, you know, I, I think I needed to... I'll pay more attention to my adventurers showing up because I really handicapped myself at the end where I didn't have the quest or the adventures to pull the big points out um, and I think that's what kept that was the one thing the reason why I didn't get the art the 25 pointer for before you was because I didn't have the the method of pulling the adventurers in and I was scared to take it thinking that's just going to sit there but that's a strategy sure it is keep it from someone else sure yeah. it is even if it just sits on there and, and you never know what what, what, what intrigue happen. cards will come up yeah. or what buildings will come up that it was like oh there there's no mechanism for getting yeah, it at that point exactly do you have anything todd i think i'm just becoming more and more familiar with the cards because i haven't gone and, and gotten the spreadsheet you know it's more like you know i'm more aware now okay well commerce is at least the quest i got i need to be more aware of how much gold it's going to take to fuel my quest engine that was something that caught me off guard and i was able to recover but it could have been really ugly. Yep. So I just need to be more aware of the, not just focus so much on the adventurer cost that I neglect how many coins I'm piling up. Yep. And it's and it's funny because that happened to me at a previous game mm -hmm. of Waterdeep, which is why this time I said I got to make sure I have a mechanism for getting gold because mm -hmm. it's it's bit me before. So you know I, I totally get yeah, that. It's, it's actually interesting that spreadsheet you can you can go by column because they break out the the types of resources needed mm -hmm. to complete each quest. Um, so you can sum up. Yeah, the number of warriors need to complete every single quest. The number of, and wow. but you can tell. So you, you know that by by far, mostly it's warriors, then rogues, then priests, then wizards, and gold. I forget. I didn't do the golden mm -hmm. map, but it, there's that. It even gives you that. So you know, here's why I need to. In in theory, is what you need to accumulate to get the right ratio right. for the the quests that are going to pop up. Right. So, this uh, game now has been out a year, and there is an expansion that came out at Gen Con that is totally going to change the game somewhat. Number one, uh, it's actually two expansions in one. I don't know if you guys have read about it, and now all of a sudden the name of it has just left me. Does anybody remember the name of the expansion? Scoundrels of Skullport. Thank you. There it is. And it's basically... Is, is it the Skullport? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so there's like two boards that come with this, and there's a whole new dynamic. Uh, of one of them is a corruption. Is that what it was? Mm -hmm. Corruption, where uh, there are these really awesome quests that you can uh, take that give you a massive amount of points. But in order to do so, you must take corruption. And at the end of the game, if you have corruption sitting in your tavern, you get negative victory points. And the more corruption that's in play across the entire game the larger that uh, negative point value is per corruption point. So there's a whole new dynamic there of taking corruption. There's a way to remove corruption from the game, put and it the, back into the pool. I haven't actually seen them in person, but from what I've seen online, the corruption markers look like the little skulls from uh, Slocan the Mayan calendar. Oh, I'm okay. Sure I the Slocan part, but whatever. The, yeah. Those little crystal skulls. Yes. They look like the same markers. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So, yeah, so they, so they got that coming out. And the other is just another board uh, that goes, basically goes underground. And it has some additional places that your workers can go. But I think the big thing for me is it adds a six-player. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this before, Lords of Waterdeep. They have that extra player marker there. It's like, okay, they must going to be add the six-player. Well, this is it. And it's a gray player. So uh, I know that I'll be buying it. Um, and I think I saw 
from scanning the rules that they've actually added a long game. If you don't feel the game goes long enough, I think they have a way to add extra rounds. So. Uh, I don't know if it was extra rounds. It may have been extra workers per oh, person. Maybe that was it. Yeah, I think you right, start with actually. more workers mm-hmm. per and and I guess the reason why they can do that because there's now an extra board that has extra places for workers mm-hmm. to be put, yes. so it can support the more workers per player. Mm-hmm. So that's how they extend yeah, that. That's basically so, how the pillars of the expansion worked. Yeah. 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 So I'm really excited about that because that's going to add a whole new dynamic to it. And who knows? Maybe we can get back in the future, play that, and see. Wow, that, this really changed the game because mm-hmm. now there's this whole other resource called corruption that we got mm-hmm. to uh, do. So any other closing thoughts before we wrap up from anybody? 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 This okay. was fun. I look forward to doing it again. We'll, we'll yep. have, hopefully we'll do it again. We'll start working on our schedules for the next quarter. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, and I apologize. I was the one who. How does first quarter 2014? 2015. 2015. Okay. Yeah, that's looking good. Yeah. Well, we got to remember first quarter is bad for Alex because uh, he's getting all the tax, the tax stuff guys. Yeah. All that going. So we'll just figure out something. Maybe. Maybe we'll get something in the um, fourth quarter here. We'll get something right before the holidays. I, I know we're not be, busy. I think it'd be great for your listeners to write in or go to the guild forum and ask what game they would like us to play and discuss that. Yeah, that, that's a good idea. And did you even like this segment or not? Yes. You know, just last night, <laughs> was this just a waste of an hour for you or, you know, was there any value to it? So, yeah, if there's a game that you think that would be interesting, we just picked this one because it's a basic uh, worker placement game and it's one that's relatively still new and it was extremely popular. So there's a good chance a lot of people or, have played it. Or a mechanic that you have problems with and we could pick the game. We, we played a lot. If you said, ah, uh, you know, I really need help with you know uh, action selection i'm sure i right. could pick something and, and play that so right and let me just say if you send something in imperium that's a little long <laughs> twilight period yeah that's going to be a little long for us um so try to keep it in that two hour segment for us we'd appreciate that we love social deduction we'd be happy to do a social mm-hmm. deduction game yeah tony loves that he wants hey, to play bring it in <laughs> bring it, not not four player i know that won't work but <laughs> maybe tony could get you could uh, get some tips on there you yeah, go man, we could all play and give you tips that works for me <laughs> i'm whatever all right well thanks guys for coming out and playing with us that was fun and thanks for sharing your ideas with us and now you know we know where alex gets his information so we can make sure to read up on what he's reading the next time we play any game that he's going to play right. start doing research on uh you know spreadsheets and all this stuff or and data rules. analysis yeah start, just, just, start, start, start the Tony, rules. just read the rules yeah, just read the rules <laughs> i got i'm more i'll take care of the rules but i am ex- uh, next time we'll definitely make Maybe get a little net runner with Alex to see how well that, oh, yeah. you know. Would, yeah, would, would that not be embarrassing if he, like, took you to town with the core set? Hey, you right. have everything? And that would not be embarrassing. <laughs> it, once again, just like in this game, you got to adjust your strategy. You go in with a core strategy, but you never do know how it's going to come out. All That's right. Again, thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. So as you can tell from that segment, if you listen, those that prepared fared better than those that didn't so there's a lesson from that guys so if you go in with it with a better idea um you you might stand a better chance of winning versus oh going in completely blind like i did where i came in last as you heard but that's all right i hey i still had a blast Uh, marty i know that we had such a good time that we will definitely be doing this in the future we haven't decided which game but we'll have todd and alex over and get another one of these segments out well, well, hold on. Since this is, you know, Marty's other brilliant idea, if this doesn't get good reception, that will be the only time we'll have ever done that. So we'll have to see how the response is to that segment.
I, I don't know, man. This was a real easy segment for us to record this time. So, I, <laughs> you, you mean in and out of the studio in like 15 minutes and we're done? That's it. You, you know, don't have to spend too much time doing that side of it. So, I like that part of it. But even though we, but sitting around, I mean, it's just a good way to do it. And we'll find us another game. Maybe we'll do what will be interesting. And we'll see if we can get Todd and Alex or whoever. Um, we've had some other people mention that they'd like to be on the show. Maybe we'll do a co op game like Flashpoint or Pandemic or something like that. And just see how that plays out. Yeah, no, that that be that be that's a really good idea. Yeah. So if if any of you out there want us uh, hear one of our strategy sessions on one of those co op games, just let us know. Post it out there, and we'll definitely put it um, out for consideration with the gaming group. Um, the other thing is that um, Todd and Alex had such a great time. They have brought to us some segments called the what is it the war 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 room? What is it? War College. War College. That's it. I knew that. I couldn't remember it. But they brought us some new segments where they're going to go into depth about strategy and playing games. Now, Alex brings a unique flavor to that because, you know, here Alex strategically sat at the table, as you heard, next to me because I went out of town. And he knew that the rule in the game was whoever went out of town last goes first. So he knew I'd be first player. So he knew he wanted to be second. Which is now because ever since then... I scratch any rule in a game that says, you know, the first person or the last person to have done this goes first. And I'll just take the, my little spinner and spin it. Whoever it points to goes first. That eliminates that factor of the game altogether. Well, that's a whole nother thing on the dice tower. If you listen to their segment on that, about that rule, they talk all about that. They, I think they spent a long time talking about that, but yeah. So war college that's coming out in our next episode. So, um, and hopefully they'll get us some more versions and, and y'all can hear some of the deep strategy from that side of it. Uh, other housekeeping things, Marty, what do we have? What they want to do is they want to talk about how strategically do they, do they approach a game? Does, when everybody comes and sits down to play a game, consciously or subconsciously, there are things going on in your mind you may not even realize, right? As you're, as you're playing the game, you're making these decisions based on the type of game that you're playing that maybe everybody is doing, but you don't even don't even realize or don't know how to give a name to it or how to describe it. That's what they want to go to is just take a look at uh, how do you approach a game, any type of game and how is there decisions made during the game and how to play the game that you could possibly become a more effective player or bring to light things that are going on in your mind and others players minds. You may not even realize that you're even doing right. Right. So that'll be fun. We'll hopefully, um, we'll have that. We'll definitely have the next, the first one of those on our next segment. Um, let's see what else is coming up. We will be going to Mace in a couple of weeks. So that'll be fun. Right. Yes. And, uh, we still do have our charity out there going on and we want to thank, thank a few people that's already, uh, uh, given to it. And, uh, we still have some slots that are open at the tables to come play nothing personal with us and co-designer Steve Avery, along with the preview of Eldritch Horror that we'll be getting a copy of, and we can play that too. So just had a couple people contact me last night asking if seats were still available and they still are as of this recording on November 2nd. So if you're still interested, go out to our blog and you can see a post there on it or go to our forums in um, the Board Game Guild and you can see a, a post there and check to see um, how you can find out more information about that. Right. And we, you know, we've been saying that we were hoping we'd get Eldritch Horror and Fantasy Flight contacted us. We definitely have a copy coming. We hope to maybe get a second copy. We don't know yet, but we will definitely have one at the game at, at the convention. So that's, that's great. The Eldritch Horror is a... You know, after playing Arkham Horror, Marty, uh, 
they're very similar. So I, mm-hmm. I look forward to getting Eldritch Horror back on the table because uh, it's it's almost as long. And so it, but but it brings a different concept. The buying is a lot more, I think, in depth in uh, Eldritch Horror than it was in Arkham Horror. But then again, when we played Arkham Horror, I mean, it wasn't that hard. But you told me don't get used to that. Yeah, it's it's it was really odd. We got to play Arkham Horror. We did it for like a Halloween party we had here at my house, and it was Tony's first time playing. And we walked away from the game going, well, that was easy. And I was telling you, the people who had never played, it's not supposed to be that easy. Things just happened statistically that shouldn't have been happening that really made the game a lot easier for us. Number one is uh, my son, just right off the gate, started out with two Elder Signs. And if anybody's ever played the game before, you know if you get those Elder Signs cards, it's easier to close a gate when you're done. And we kept having gates open in the same locations so we just had to deal with monster surges, but not necessarily more gates popping up all over the place. So we could concentrate on these few gates, get them closed. And when they did, a couple other gates closed, opened up. And then before we knew it, we had six closed and the game was over. So as far as the epic type game, it usually is. It wasn't, but it'll be fun to play Eldritch Horror and then come back next episode and we could discuss how how they compare and contrast. Right. And other things going on at Mace, we've got Eldritch. You've already mentioned nothing personal, but... We'll, we'll also have some open gaming there. So if you see us there and you want a game, just give us a shout out. We'll be more than happy to sit down and play a couple games with you. I know I'll be bringing a Ben and have some various games there. And same with Marty. Who knows? We might even be able to get us some net runner in. Uh, well, yeah, because as we're sitting there waiting for people to come up and play a game and nobody wants to, we'll pull out netrunner and play it real quick right uh we uh the we had a contest last episode where we offered out a leathered ice bag to the listener who got closest to the reaper closing of um, bones 2 on kickstarter over what was it 3.1 million dollars marty or something something like that yeah it was unreal uh brian k and we're going to leave it at k because i'm not even going to try to go with that last name he got close with 2.9 million gas and he should have his dice bag in the mail so hopefully he'll enjoy that and keep in mind that was handmade therefore quality well, let's just leave it at that. It's, um, it's the quality quality was not, you know, like you could get from a store, but that's okay. It was free. <laughs> Wait a minute. Handmade usually means it's better quality. Uh, yeah, that, sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, we'll probably, as we continue, we'll, we'll look for other ways to do that. I mean, hey, we had four people participate in that contest. We'll shoot for eight next time. <laughs> yeah. You had a 25% chance of winning. That's right. And I mean, well, we got to keep it in perspective. Cool stuff. You know, we had over 500 participate. So our little local contest, but maybe we'll give them more time. That was kind of off the cuff thing. If we see something else coming up, um, we'll probably offer something else out there. Not guess what the pumpkin carving is or anything like that. Okay. Hey, everybody got it. I thought it was a bad carving, and I was just wanting to see if anybody would pick up on it. Well, they did yeah. right off the bat. So yeah, the Buffy thing—that was yeah, real good job mm-hmm. on that. Um, other than that, we've we don't have a whole lot coming up. Oh, um, I did get my order in for trains and stations, so I'll be talking about that. And we've got a couple five minute segments that we still got to get recorded, but we'll get out Gravwell, which is going to be released soon. 
Um, I was checking on that, Marty, and it will be coming out for general consumption. I'm surprised it took them so long to get it out. You know, I thought it would be already on the shelves, but it's just now looks like they're just now getting Cryptozoic's just now getting it out there. Yeah, and I've uh, got a couple games that I had pre-ordered that have been released. Um, I had pre-ordered um, Dead Panic from Fireside Games, and that is on a FedEx truck on the way to my house right now. I'm really confused by this. So this morning I got on to track the game because I was kind of hoping it came today. So I ordered it from Cool Stuff Inc. It went from Orlando to Charlotte, which is, you know, we're right outside of Charlotte. For some reason, it's now on a truck to Greensboro, which is in the northern part of North Carolina. I can't figure that out. Why is it going to Greensboro? Um, for uh, Maybe that's where they do the FedEx hub, and then they'll send it. You know, they just had the plane come in and they distribute it and then they're going to go to the hub. I don't know. But it was right here. I could have just driven 10 minutes away and picked it up. And now it's up in Greensboro. So what you're telling me is I was hoping trains and stations was going to be here today, too. But mine may be in Greensboro as well. Nice. Yeah, you might you might want to check your tracking. Also, with that game, I had ordered uh, Planet Steam uh, from Fantasy Flight oh, Games. You did order that. I did, and it's going to be a game that I'm going to give to Vanessa for Christmas, and I can safely say that on the show because she doesn't listen to the show. Oh, cool. All right. Well, very good. So according to my tracking, mine is at the Charlotte location yesterday, and that's as far as it's gone. It hasn't made it to Greensboro or wherever yours went to. So, yeah. If yours comes straight to your house, I'm going to be ticked. But anyway, yeah, I'm really excited to see how Trains and Station plays. And obviously, I want to get with you and see how that is because it looked like a good game. Oh, yeah, I hope so. And that was one of those flyers that we put out there. But I think that's about it, Marty, uh, as far as our cleanup here or anything else you want to do for the outro. Well, yeah, see, the next show we will be talking, we'll have the segment on the War College. Mm -hmm. And we'll be doing our uh, turkey games. Right. Our top turkey games. And remember, you can still contribute to those. And then coming in December, we've got our one-year show coming up. And I think we're going to do some special stuff for that. So we'll see how that uh, goes, too. I am still in the process of trying to set up a location to record some videos. Last week, I went out to Lowe's and got some PVC pipe in order to build these structures to hang soundproof insulation around a certain area to soundproof the basement. And I stood them up and me being an electrical engineer and not a mechanical engineer, I stood them up and hung them and they tilted right over and fell. I didn't brace the feet very well. So I have to go buy some more additional parts and do a little bit of gluing. So okay. that's why I don't build anything structurally. <laughs> that was awesome. I wish I'd hey, if, if I needed to attach lights to it and, and stuff like that, I could have, I could have pulled that off, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's great. I love that. Oh, uh, we also, we're going to try to, um, Marty and I are kicking around a segment where we're going to do who's that designer. Um, that's also scheduled for the upcoming show if time allows. And, so we've been prepping for that and that goes back to our theme of you know for people who are just now getting into board gaming you hear people drop all these names like uh richard seth um Uwe, and you're sitting there like who are these or at least you know when i first started i was like okay so but they all have common themes and so marty and i thought we'd sit down and we would discuss certain designers and some of the ones we like or anything like that and then this way you can say oh yeah that's the guy who did that or you know we just thought we'd be an interesting way to do another part of that bringing gaming to the masses let people you know know what's going on behind that 
And, you know, most people who talk about hobby games are sometimes they're called designer games. And the reason why is because the designer is highlighted in a lot of these games. And, and we'll take some of the more popular ones and discuss some of the games they've made in the past and maybe what they're doing in the future. Exactly. All right. Well, until next time, keep rolling dice. And taking names. Uh, good evening. Uh, this is your present. Uh, no, no, thank you. I don't, I don't need the telephone this time. I just wanted to let you know about Rolling Dice and Taking Name. Uh, it's the best gaming podcast available. And the Twitter is at Dice and Names. And the website is uh, RollDiceTakeNames.com. See, I did it without the teleprompter. So, Tony, do you think any of the re- listeners realize we always do this little segment at the end of the show? I know one guy does, but I don't know if anybody else knows. Hmm. Hey, I got an idea. Why don't we do this? Let's say, let's do a little contest for those who actually got this far in the show and listen. If you are now listening to this, send us an email to RollDiceTakeNames at gmail.com with the subject, what would be a cute subject line, like a password to let people know that they actually heard this? Uh, Batman. Batman. I like it. With the subject title, Batman, and we will put your name in the drawing for another one of those awesome handmade leather dice bags that Tony is now into making. How's that sound, Tony? I like it. Like Let's it? do it. All right. So here you go. If you're now listening, send us an email at names at gmail.com with the subject Batman, and you will be entered in a drawing for a dice bag. Now, don't tell anybody else, and we're not going to tell anybody else either on the website or anything like that. Just this is just for you if you if you actually listen this far in the show. Contest ends November sixteenth, two thousand thirteen.